we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome to Redemption Church, everybody. Where we never have tech problems. All right, you might turn this down. I'm going to preach too loud at them. Really, Welcome back to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. We're so glad. I am always glad for the people in the room. So thankful for the people in the room. I'm glad to share Christ with you, be with you, worship with you, see you eye to eye, give you high five. But I'm also glad for everybody joining us online. Somehow technology has connected us, and we're so glad to share the Word of God with you. We're all going to be receiving the Word of God together today, and I'm excited about that. I really, really am. Are you excited? Look at somebody and say, I'm excited. I'm excited. Welcome to the second week of our spooky sermon series. It's called Scary Words. Everybody said scary words. We're going cover to cover in your Bible to bring you the scariest words in your Bible. Last week, we told you about a word. What was the word? It was actually a name. It was Ichabod, and it means what? The glory has departed. I think they all kind of said that. Everyone just kind of talked at the same time. It sounded like craziness. Yeah, yeah. Ichabod means the glory has departed. If God's presence and God's blessing were to withdraw from your life, that would be scary. Yeah. The children of Israel, last week we talked about how they were not aware of God's gradual goodbye in Ezekiel chapter 10. We need to be aware of God's presence, not just on Sunday at church time, but we need to be aware of His presence every day. Can I get a hand clap for that? I think that one deserves it because it's so true. Today, I want us to turn together to Romans chapter 1, where we're going to be starting to read at verse 16. Go ahead and pull that up. If you got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and do that. Pull up that whole chapter, and we're going to be beginning at verse 16. Now, Romans 1 is a scary chapter anyway. If you've ever read Romans 1, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get any nods in here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are some scary things in Romans 1. In fact, we could spend multiple weeks digging into the scary words and warnings of Romans chapter 1. But today, we're going to give you a nice little truncated version. I got a good one for you today. All right? We're going to begin at verse 16, reading in the NIV, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written 
the righteous will live by faith. Say for me these words, righteousness revealed. Good news, verse 16 was about the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is a verse you need to have highlighted in your Bible. You need to know that it is the power of God unto salvation. And then that next verse is one you need to be aware of also. It says that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Now the gospel... What is it? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is everything attached to his kingdom. And on this gospel, through this gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Do we understand the word righteousness? It's okay if you don't understand the, the word righteous. I'll help you understand it today. Righteousness equals right standing with God. Say that out loud. I want you to know that the rest of your life. Righteousness equals right standing with God. If you are not in right standing with God, you are not in righteousness. Does that make sense? From the Strong's Concordance, it defines righteous as the state of him who is as he ought to be. The condition acceptable to God. Say that one more time. There's a lot to it. The state of him who is as he ought to be. The condition acceptable to God. You as you ought to be. That's righteousness. You as you were created to be. That's what it means to be righteous. You, in your best possible condition, is to be acceptable to God. There is not a better condition than to be acceptable to God. I'm telling you, gentlemen, if we did lose that 30 pounds, and we did have those six-pack rock-hard abs, if we did have a brand-new Tesla we were driving in, but we were not acceptable to God, there wouldn't be a good thing about it. That is not your best possible condition. If you got the job, if you got popular on YouTube, if you became famous and rich and powerful, but you are not acceptable to God, that is not the best condition for your life. The best condition for your life is righteousness. The best condition of your life is to be created as the creator meant you to be. To be acceptable to God. Do you realize how wonderful it is to feel God's presence? It means that God loves you and wants to be with you, and you are acceptable in his sight. He is receiving your worship and your praise. Oh, praise God for it. Praise God for it. Righteousness revealed. Say it one more time. Righteousness revealed. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the righteousness of God. Righteousness is not a secret mystery. I grew up a little bit, like the words holiness and righteousness, that's like, what in the world is that all about? It must mean that I pray a certain amount of time and that I can quote a certain amount of verses. Now, those are great things, it, but I mean, it was it, it just like, what is righteousness? Am I holy yet? Pray for an hour and you look up and you go, am I righteous yet? I'm I, probably not. Let's get back down to it. And another hour goes by and I'm like, am I righteous yet? 
I've sung Be Thou My Vision 22 times in a row. Am I righteous yet? And I'm like, it was mysterious to me what righteousness and holiness is. Let me tell you, verse 17 was all I needed. It took me way too long in life, Kathy, to realize it. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It is not a secret mystery. You do not have to go through life wondering how the best version of you looks like. The best version of you looks just like Jesus. Loves like Jesus. Walks like Jesus. Heals people like Jesus. Feeds people like Jesus. Gets down in the dirt with people like Jesus. Walks up to the people that everyone else walks past like Jesus. The best version of you looks just like Jesus. Righteousness is revealed in Jesus Christ. It's revealed in everything that touches him. It is his gospel. That was verse 17. You ready for verse 18? Here we go. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Somebody say wrath revealed. Paul teaches the people of Rome, those sweet people, he teaches them, he's like, I want to teach you about the righteousness of God. It's, it's revealed in the gospel. And then he turns around, now I'm going to teach you about the wrath of God. It's the very next verse, right? He teaches them something scary. The verse 16, everybody quotes, it's on t-shirts. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No shirt has verse 18 on it. I've not seen that verse yet, yet on a bumper sticker. There are no Chris Tomlin songs that cover verse 18. Paul teaches them about the wrath of God revealed. Now, wrath is a scary word, right? Some of y'all last week, you texted in your, your word, and your word was wrath. And I could have easily made it our scary word for this sermon. I went back and forth when I was putting this sermon series together about wrath. But I have another scary word to share with you today. However, I want you to know wrath is a word that is scary. And it's a word we must understand. Do we understand what wrath is? We talked about what righteousness is. Let's look at wrath. Here's what wrath is. Holy revulsion of unholy acts. Holy revulsion of unholy acts. Wrath, the Greek word, orge. Strong, settled anger. It's, there's an anger in wrath. It is an opposition to evil. It's an opposition that's not just like, I don't really like that. No, it's an opposition that gets angry and defiant in opposing evil. Holy revulsion to that which is against his holy nature. A holy revulsion against God's holy nature. Do you understand that God must reject the things that are against his holy nature? God must reject the unholy things that are against his holy nature. 
God cannot smile upon evil and still be good. For God to smile on evil makes God not good. Not if you understand that. Does that make sense? God cannot hang out with unholy behavior and still be holy. Can't let unholy behavior reach out and touch him. He's got to keep a distance between that. This is why in your Bible, if you touch the holy ark of the covenant, you dead. It's a guy named Uzzah. Just reached out, touched it, died instantly to go into that holy place. And you weren't allowed in there. You didn't have the blood of the lamb on you. You were dead instantly. God cannot hang out with unholy behavior and still be holy. Next, God cannot make a truce with sin and still be pure. Now here's the deal. Neither can we. Neither can we. When we smile upon evil, we aren't good either. When we hang out with unholy behavior, we can't call ourselves holy either. When we make a truce with sin, we cannot call ourselves pure. Evil, unholy behavior, and sin is not just to God's disliking. It is not uh, an unpleasant tasting entree that God sends back to the kitchen. I'm sorry, I just didn't really like these pickles. Could you remake this for me? It's not, it's not that. I just don't, I prefer something with a little bit of more, I don't know, medium rare, right? No, it's not that. It is not that just God dislikes sin, that he dislikes evil, that he dislikes murder. You know, I'd prefer it maybe if you didn't kill each other. That's not it. Evil, unholy behavior, and sin are against the very nature of God. Do you know what it, you know what it is when something in your body exists that's against your nature? It's cancer. It's something foreign. It's something, it can't just stay there. It ends up attacking your very being. God, God, God will not allow whole unholiness into his nature. It's against who he is. It is not that God would simply prefer us to act different. It is not that God has certain house rules. No feet on the table. No feet on the coffee table. No, it's not that. Our sinful acts are against the very holy nature of God. And he must be opposed to our sin. And this opposition is called wrath. That's right. That's the answer. His opposition to sin is called wrath. I hope we're learning today. Looking back at our verse, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of, the, of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's a lot we could talk about here. But I want to jump to this idea. The Bible speaks of a day of God's wrath when he removes those who are unholy from his holy presence. This day of wrath 
will come one day. It has not come yet, but one day it will come. But in Romans 1, Paul is not saying that one day the wrath of God will be revealed. It's saying, Paul is saying the wrath is being revealed now. The wrath of God is currently being revealed now. In a few verses, Paul taught us about a righteousness revealed, followed by a wrath revealed. Where's Paul going with this Bible study? What a great way to start your letter. Verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Say righteousness revealed. Say wrath revealed. Here's the next one, God revealed. Verse 19 says, the knowledge of God is plain. God has made his existence and knowledge plain. Easy to see, easy to detect. This is not a recent development either. It didn't just happen last year. It didn't just happen even when Christ came. No, Paul tells us in verse 20, since the creation of the world, God has been revealing himself since the creation of the world. We're talking Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, way back. You can't hardly go further back, Ashley. You can't hardly go back further than Genesis 1. There is not a Genesis 1 negative 1. There, it doesn't exist. We don't have that verse. Since that point of creation, God has been revealing himself. Do you know that the creation of the world reveals the creator? How he created you reveals the creator. If you didn't have a Bible where you could read about the creation account, you know there's places on the face of the planet where they don't have a Bible. There are actually still places on the face of the planet that do not have a Bible translated in their language. There are some places that only have a few scriptures translated into their language. They've only maybe got the Gospels. They're, they're very, they're, there are certain people groups that are still unreached. If you didn't have a Bible where you could read about the creation account, you could still look up into the night sky. Look upon the beauty of nature. See the plants and the wondrous animals, and have God, the Creator, revealed to you. That's what Romans 1.20 is saying. If you didn't have a Bible, if you weren't raised in the Jewish faith, he's talking to Jews, and he's also talking to Gentiles. If you weren't raised knowing Jesus, you could still know God because he's been trying to show himself since the creation of the world. Verse 20 continues to tell us that the invisible qualities of God. Everyone say invisible. There are several places in your Bible 
where it calls God invisible. It says, no man has seen God at any time, John 1, verse 18. It says, immortal, invisible, only wise God. I'll change the words a little bit. There is one who is the image of the invisible God. There's several places in your Bible. God is invisible. Spirit hath not flesh and blood, and God is a spirit. God has invisible qualities, but what does verse 20 tell us? His invisible qualities, and Paul explains, that's his eternal power and his divine nature. Now we're getting back to that word nature. Remember, sin is against the very nature of God. Now God's nature, the, what it is that makes him God, those mind-boggling things that are invisible, what are they seen? They are clearly seen. They have been clearly seen, it says. Somebody say clearly seen. We're not talking if I squint and I turn my head a little bit to the right, I kind of can see it. No, clearly seen, being understood, it says, so that people are without excuse. One more time, drive this home. Righteousness revealed. Wrath revealed. God revealed. Pause. I want to tell you something. God wants to be seen. You listen to me. God wants to be seen. Some of you, you don't feel like you've ever come in contact with God. I want to tell you, today, today's your day. God wants to be seen by you. He wants to be known by you. He wants to be completely, plainly seen by you. If you've never known him as a healer, in Jesus' name, I declare that tonight you could see him plainly as a healer. If you've never seen him as a savior, tonight is your night. You could plainly see him as a savior. Oh, one more. If you've never had a father or a mother, a parent that loved you, I want to tell you, you can see a father and a mother that love you in God. You could see it tonight. You can see it tonight. All of this is revealed, and that brings us to our scary word for the night. Somebody say, he's about to say it. Oh, man, here's, we'll pop that word up here. I've been working on this word. Anapologitos. Thank you. That is a hard word. I've listened to Strong's Concordance that just push that. Strong's G, Anapologitos. Finally, I knew I would stutter when I got to it. Anapologitos. It is a single word, and it means without excuse. Somebody say anapologitos. This Greek word means inexcusable. It means indefensible. Have you ever gotten in trouble, but you had a good excuse? You used that excuse, didn't you? Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, but not so fast. Teacher? The dog ate my homework, right? <laughs> you had a good defensive argument that helped you avoid the punishment. That's what an excuse is. Officer, 
I know I was speeding, but there is a medical emergency. Will you please help me get to the hospital? It's like, boom, it's good, it's good, right? I know it looks bad, but there is an extenuating circumstance. I have an excuse. Here's a list of popular excuses. I'm too old. Can't do that. I'm too old. How about this one? I'm too young. Too young to take on such responsibility. I'm too young to do the dishes. Not in our house, children. Not in our house. I don't have enough time. I Or this one. I still have time, but I'll just start later. I have enough time to start later. And then you procrastinate. I'm too busy. You know, I just got so much to do. I got all this stuff to do. I can't do it. How about this one? It's my personality. You don't know. I just, you know, I yell at everyone because it's my personality. I don't have anger issues, Jeff. I'm just that way. Get off my back. I'm impatient. That's just my personality. That's just who I am. I'm an introvert. You can't expect me to go talk to people. I can't. That's my personality. We have these excuses we throw up. I don't have the resources. You know, other people, sure, you know, Marshall's got all these Hawaiian shirts with birds on them, but I don't have that. I can't just go out and be successful like him. I had a rough childhood. These are the kind of excuses that we throw out. Something that happened 30 years ago is somehow the reason for your problem today. Like, these are excuses. They're excuses. Oh, the excuses we tell ourselves. I want to tell you the number one thing keeping you from a better life is your excuses. It's not the devil. It's you. An excuse is the number one thinking is is the number one thing that, that's keeping you from a better marriage, from a healthier body, from a more successful career more powerful ministry. The number one thing keeping us from better is actually our selves. If you could defeat your excuses today, there is no telling what could happen in your life. Whatever your excuses are, if that's like hitting you anywhere in your heart, why don't we defeat our excuses today? On that great day of judgment, the day of God's wrath, there's going to be a great white throne. It's the throne of God. God the judge is going to sit on that throne. Your Bible says that all the dead will rise again and stand before that throne. It goes into detail. It says the sea is going to give up its dead. Just imagine that. Just zombie movie has never caught What's going to happen there? Imagine all these bodies just walk out of the ocean one by one. Revelations 20, verse 11. Let's look at it. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled away. Just think about that. They ran away. They They flew away. They were gone. They went, they were gone. What? The earth and the heavens. That's impossible. But that's what it said. And there was no place for them. 
Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books, everyone say books. There's an S on the end of that book. Books, there's multiple, there's multiple books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. People are going to be asked, why did you steal? Why did you murder? Why did you blaspheme God's name? Why did you do these things? But they're also going to be asked, why didn't you do these things? Why didn't you love? Why didn't you serve others? Why didn't you obey God? On that day, that day of his wrath, that day of the great white throne judgment, I predict to you that the number one excuse presented will be, I didn't know. You think, I, I thought for a while, I, Teresa, I don't think there's a more prevalent excuse that you'll hear on that day. I believe everyone before that throne will actually try this excuse. I didn't know there was a God. Standing right in front of him on his throne. I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know the Bible was true. There's all these holy books out there. I didn't know that was the one. I didn't know Jesus was your son. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know it. I, I claim ignorance. I didn't know that Jesus was your son. I just thought he was just another good guy out there. I didn't know that what I was doing was sinful. Oh, that was wrong? Was that wrong? I didn't know about the gospel. I didn't know about repentance. God, how can you punish me for something I never knew about? God, that seems so unreasonable. How can you punish me for something I never knew about? I, I didn't ever know it. I didn't know it. It is the old ignorance is bliss argument that you learned in, in elementary school, middle school, somewhere in there. Someone help me today. When somebody stands before the great white throne judgment and they look up at God and say, I didn't know. Y'all let me know. Do you think that defense is going to work? Will that be a good excuse? Is there like a magic excuse that you could get by, get out with on that day? The I didn't know excuse is it's not going to hold up in God's court. Why? Righteousness has been revealed. Wrath has been revealed. God has been revealed. Go back to Romans 120. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The power of a creator is clearly seen. Rule and order are clearly seen. You are not going to get far saying, I didn't know about God's law. There's law, law, and God's going to say, did you not know about the, the theory of gravity? That if you jump off a cliff, you're going to fall to the earth? Did you not know that? There's law everywhere written by a creator. Moving on, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and nature. It says that they are clearly seen. It is God's invisible qualities that have put all this together, that have given you breath in your lungs and a, and a heartbeat in your body. And they're holding all things together by the word of his power. The earth is flying in, in a solar system that's flying in a galaxy that is spinning and going crazy in a universe. It's his invisible qualities that are doing that. And although they're invisible, they are clearly seen. We are all without excuse. Anapologitos. Without excuse. That's the word there at the end. It's the last word Paul wrote in verse 20. Anapologitos. Uh, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that the Buddhists will not be able to stand on that day and say they didn't know. The atheists will not be able to testify that they were unaware. The person who lives a degenerate lifestyle will have no excuse. But also the person who tries to live a moral lifestyle will have no excuse. We have no excuse, no pardon, no defense, no excuse. On this day of judgment, it will not help to pray. On this day of judgment, it will be too late to repent. On this day of judgment, it won't help to quote scripture. I don't know the day or the hour when the Lord will return. I do not know the day of that great white throne judgment. But there is something I am sure of. And it is this. If you are making excuses today, you may try to make excuses on that day. If you're making excuses today, you may very well stand before a great white throne only to find that none of your excuses work. Are you making excuses today? You don't have to like nod. You don't have to tell me. You know that in your heart and you better come to grips with it today, church. Friends listening online, are you making excuses today. When you're confronted with your sin, do you repent or do you make an excuse? 
There are next steps you need to be making in God. Or are you making those excuses instead of making those steps? You need to profess your faith in Jesus. Don't make an excuse. Make a profession. Is there an excuse that's keeping you from saying, yes, I want to say publicly that I believe in Jesus Christ? Is there an excuse that's coming in between you and saying, yes, and I want to turn away from all of my sin and turn away and live for Jesus Christ? Is there an excuse that's keeping you from being baptized in his wonderful name? Is there an excuse that's keeping you from an altar experience with God? Is there an excuse that's keeping you from being filled to overflowing with this spirit? There is a God purpose for your life. Are you fulfilling that purpose or are you making excuse? Are you growing as a worshiper? You listen to me. You're here every Sunday. You're here every first Tuesday. You listen. Are you growing as a worshiper? Are you closer to God today than you were a year ago? Grow as a worshiper. Don't make an excuse. Go do it. Grow as a worshiper. Be overcome with his presence. Be closer to him. Be filled with his spirit. Don't make an excuse. Sometimes we make that excuse of, well, you know, I'm just, we go back to that personality thing. I'm an introvert. You know, I just don't, I don't want to just over, you know, I don't want to be seen by people. You don't want to be seen by people worshiping Jesus. When the word of God is preached, we either make a change or we make an excuse. What will you do today? We're drawn to a close. We're coming to that part of the service where you either make a change or you make an excuse. As we get ready to talk to God today, I want us to take a moment and imagine the scariest moment. I want you to imagine the great white throne judgment. Rise if you want to. It's currently partly cloudy and 79 degrees. I want you to imagine a multitude of people larger than anything you have ever experienced. If you took the largest stadiums in the world and put them together, and all the capacity was spilling out, it would be nothing like this multitude you're seeing. And you're in the middle of this multitude, but you want to be anywhere else. But there is nowhere else to go because the earth and the sky have fled away from the very presence of the one on the throne. Where do you go when earth has flew away? Everyone wants to get away, but no one can get away. So no one gets away. This huge crowd, throng of people. One by one, people stand before that great white throne. The one who sits upon that throne is so bright, you can barely make out his features. And yet you know immediately who it is that sits on that throne. That's God. 
One by one, people stand at that throne and books are opened. One book we know the name of, it is the Lamb's Book of Life. There are other books. It says we are judged by what is written in them. We don't really know what these books are. Some of these books may be the Word of God. There could be 66 books that represent the very Bible you let get covered in dust on the shelf in your home. 66 books you knew were true and important, but you never read. And these 66 books could be laid open and your life compared to what's written in them. How does your life compare to the commands of God? And there are also books that are inside these books are written the things that we had done in life. Those things you did, they're known and they're written down. As people go before this throne, all you can think about is the life you have lived and what might be written in these books. Your name is called, and you suddenly stand before the brightest light you have ever seen. All your life is laid bare for all to see. The times you stole, the times you cursed, the times you lost your temper, the secret sins that you did your best to hide in your life, those sins are now dragged out into the light for all to see. In the books it said you were to love God, but you did not. You were to love your neighbor, and you did not. You were to not worship other gods, but you did worship other gods. It's revealed you worshiped yourself the most. You murdered people in your heart. You committed adultery in your heart. Your mind goes back to the moments where you could have made a change, but you didn't. You made excuse. Some on this day will remember times they were in a church service and a pastor pleaded with them to come pray. What is written in Romans chapter 1 is 100% true. God's righteousness revealed. God's wrath against sin revealed. God's presence revealed. And you are anapologitos without excuse. And in this very vulnerable moment, you cannot defend yourself, you cannot excuse yourself, and you cannot save yourself. Friend, does this scare you? Because it should. There's not a scarier scenario anywhere than this one. The truth is none of us can save ourselves. We all deserve the wrath of God for all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. God's opposition to sin is His wrath. We all deserve His wrath, and we are all without excuse. But at this great white throne judgment, there is one more book. There is a book of life. And that book is opened. And if your name is in that book, although you have no excuse, there is a defender present for you all of a sudden. If your name is in that book, although you can't pardon yourself, you have someone present who can pardon you. If your name is in that book, you have a Savior. Are you excused by the one who writes that book? Are you excused by the one who gave his blood on the cross? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. Look at this verse. In Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Can I tell you, you cannot excuse you, but the blood of Jesus can cover every one of your sins so that they are no longer seen. They can be pardoned. One verse says that he has canceled the written charges against you. Those written charges in the books are canceled. And it says he took them and he nailed them to the cross. There is no excuse for us. There's no excuse for us except that Jesus Christ would come and pardon us, cover us. Love covers a multitude of sins. I want to tell you it is the blood, and that blood is love for you, and it will cover all of your sins. So will you make a change today? Or will you make another excuse? These altars are open today. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.